Hello ladies and gentlemen and welcome to Pod on the Tyne, your go-to Newcastle United podcast brought to you by The Athletic. Coming up this week we're going to chat about the Everton game, 2-1 win to Newcastle. Callum Wilson on the score sheet again with a brace and another penalty. We talk about the approach, the consistency and we speak exclusively to Isaac Hayden. We've got a fantastic interview with him coming up uh, relating to a piece that George has written as well. We also go into a bit of depth on Callum Wilson and we have a lovely chat about bollocks and speaking of wrinkly old knackers i am joined this week ladies and gents by mr george colgan how are you doing george i hope yours taylor but i'm uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm fine you've, you've actually you've actually brought a smile to my face so i'll um well, that's good i'll just have to, i'll just have to take that excellent uh yes and of course that that piece that you wrote about isaac hayden everyone can uh, read that in full on the website www.theathletic.com forward slash newcastle pod and at the moment you can sign up with a special offer uh, where you pay a pound a week for the subscription and you can get access to all of that lovely lovely content we're also joined by the sausage king mr chris wolf well apparently uh according to you taylor as i'm on twitter yesterday i think i think i am deceased am i not well, yes. I don't know if you saw this, George, but um, a, a, a Russian oligarch described as the Sausage King was um, was was killed recently uh, in a sauna by somebody using a crossbow, which is possibly wow. one of the most bizarre sentences I've ever said out loud. But yeah, I was slightly worried that uh, Waffles wouldn't be reporting for duty this morning because, you know... Are you next in line? Are you next in line to that particular throne, Chris? <laughs> I am the heir to the Sausage Kingdom, yes. <laughs> I, yes, I mean, sus- I, I, I mean, I don't want to say that too much, just in case people suddenly think that I was the man with the crossbow. But, um, but yeah, well, that's yeah, that's it. There's only one sausage king. Yeah. Yes, I'm the I'm the next in line. I'm waiting to grasp my opportunity. And I'm sure you shall grasp it firmly, Chris. How how about you, Chris? Did you uh, did you enjoy the game on Saturday? What did you think? You know, it's three points. It's a win. And I have to say, from my point of view, I thought it was one of the best performances we've had under Steve Bruce. Uh, first half was a little bit dicey, but I thought second half we really played well. I thought second half was very good. First half was just an awful game, really. It was a nothing game. Um, that's not really having a go at Newcastle. That was Everton were poor as well. It was just, just something with nothing happening happened for forty five minutes. Mm. And actually, Newcastle managed the game really well. And I agree. I thought second half they looked good. They created a few opportunities. And I mean, Everton were very poor. We we'll have to say that they were slow and ponderous. But Newcastle, I thought, frustrated them as well. I thought the system worked very well. If I can just have a little bit of a whinge, and this isn't about Newcastle. This is about Sky Sports. And because I haven't Ooh. really watched a lot of Super Sundays it's called for a long while I'd forgotten that when Man United and Arsenal are playing later on in the day the first game almost becomes irrelevant so you tune you tune in at one o'clock and they talk for 45 minutes about a game that's happening three and a half hours later <laughs> yeah. which nobody who's tuning in to watch the game three and a half hours later has tuned in at one o'clock to watch yeah and it just becomes exasperating the, oh yeah and then there's a game in 20 minutes Newcastle are playing oh Newcastle are playing Everton yeah and so that really annoyed me and you know when they when they're when they're asking for 15 quid a match for some of the other games that just makes you want to do that yeah. even less so that's the, sorry I mean, that's the, me being a bit miserable but the 40 minutes build up before our match was exclusively Sky Sports talking about Bruno Fernandes and um <laughs> yeah. Paul Pogba which was like oh all right okay I forgot this they played for us that's amazing do you know what that you know I feel like I missed out by being at the stadium and I think that's where I've got to now that I've done I've done I did the Wolves game the weekend before and I've done the two away games in the League Cup and I can sort of I can sort of 
make myself feel that it's okay. I mean, it's not. It was very sad in both of those kind of cup occasions that it, what should have been a massive atmosphere in those kind of small grounds wasn't there. But it doesn't feel as personal to me when I'm watching Newcastle away from home as opposed to watching them at St James's. And I actually had this realisation as I wrote about the game afterwards and I wrote about this whole, whole idea of silence, really, that the the stadium is now online. And so... When you're actually in the stadium, I know we've talked about this before, but when you're in the stadium, there's nothing. You have empty seats around you. There might be a journalist three or four rows away from you, but there's nothing. There's no TV. There's no there's no noise. You, If you look down at your laptop, there's no noise to drag you back up again. Mm. Um, what's happening on the pitch is just a series of individual voices. And I actually thought to myself, you know, I think in the past... If I knew that Newcastle were playing at home and I wasn't there and I was in Newcastle, I felt this sense of guilt and this sense of yearning to sort of be there. And now I actually sort of thought I'm missing out by not watching this on television because the we, you know do you remember when I was talking about the man the man U game and not paying for pay per view and what I did was I watched it on Twitter and listened to it on the radio and I yeah. and. You know, a lot of the stuff you see on Twitter is kind of angry, angry and ridiculous and nonsense and extreme, but it's also funny. That's where you yeah. get the funniness and the humour of a match day now. You don't get it inside the stadium. And I actually feel like I'm missing out. That's how far it's the bizarre, circle has turned. It's weird. Yeah, it is weird. Yeah, I mean, Newcastle, they continue on. I mean, it's not a bad result, is it, really, when you look at Everton, who were uh, could have won back to the top of the league if they had won a 2-1 victory with them. Callum Wilson with another brace, uh, another penalty, and a, a tidy little finish at the back post, and all-round a fairly kind of well-rounded performance as well. Um, who, were the, who were the standout players for you, Chris? Um, I thought Federico Fernandez was excellent again at centre so back. I mean, that's just yeah, it's just we could say that every week to be honest. Actually, I thought all the I thought all the defence played well. Um, Lascelles had his best game in a long while, but uh, Miguel Almiron I thought was just yeah, he didn't really do too much in terms of uh, creativity. Although he was involved in in one of the goals and did do a nice flick down the way, but just the amount of work he got through, and I think he really helped the balance with that team and so the way that they were set up it was very much certainly first half a back five it wasn't even wing back they were essentially it was a back five to try and contain and it needed that energy in the legs and I thought between him and Sean Longstaff in the midfield they really helped to provide that and that was hopefully a glimpse of what we may see from Sean Longstaff going forward it needs to give him the confidence because we hadn't seen that player for quite a while and I think that uh, we we start to see glimpses of of what he is actually capable of because he's not just someone who he can get around, but he also has a nice pass and he can spread play. And I think that when he is on form, in my opinion, and this may prove controversial, I think he is a better option than John Joe Shelby just because oh, I think Chris. that you know what you're going to get more more often than not when. But that's if Sean Longstaff can rediscover the form we saw 18 months ago, which as of yet he's only had one game, so we'll wait and see. But I did think there was quite a few, there were quite a few encouraging performances. Yeah, it's 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 obviously it was the second game in a row that they've played that formation, and it was pretty much an identical team apart from Longstaff coming in. And I wonder if you know we're going to having kind of lurched from system to system, and Steve Bruce saying, well, we've got to tighten things up because we've been too inconsistent, having you know previously said we need to open up. Whether this is now the balance that's required. I mean it's quite interesting. I don't I still don't think this is the finished article because you look at St Maxima for example who yeah. was very ordinary, you know, 
isn't doesn't seem to be best suited mm. to that to that role and so you kind of answer a question in one part of the team or with one element of the team whether it's the formation or personnel and then you still you still end up asking another question in a different way it was interesting to see Fraser come on and immediately have that sort of directness that Callum Wilson must be crying out for as a striker and so I, d- I do think all that's all that's kind of quite interesting, but it it feels like perhaps that is a that is a system and style that you know that may endure for a bit longer. We'll see what happens on Friday, but against Southampton, but I, it it was decent. They did look good. Everton were were poor and were hindered by a lot of injuries, but you can't. You can't fault you can't really fault the team for what they did. I mean it's interesting, isn't it? Because I remember us having this conversation in the past about a settled system and a settled formation. And I think it was after the Burnley game when we played four, two, three, one and and uh Miguel Amiron played in that number ten role and we kind of said, Oh, this looks good, we look attacking, we look balanced, we look like, you know, the players know their positions and all that sort of stuff, but then it's the consistency of 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 keeping that formation or keeping that system and everyone being comfortable in it. Whereas we go down the road and we lose a couple of games and suddenly everything changes again. Now, I, I don't know if this is, uh, you know, the way Steve Bruce likes to approach things or if generally he's just kind of swinging in the dark and hoping something lands. But it feels like we have this conversation often. Oh, yeah, that that was good. That looked right. That looked like it worked. And then the next week we lose and everything changes again. I don't know how you feel about that, but to me... That's how that. That's how it feels. We keep, well, we keep finding I, I, a a, sta- a bit of stability, and then we lose, or we lose a couple of games, and then it all changes again. And I think it's the fact that Newcastle tend to lose those games badly, and so there's then a lot of soul searching. But mm. I, and I'm hopefully this will be a seamless a seamless link. I spoke to Isaac Hayden recently, did a big interview with him, and there was a lot in there about his personal circumstances and what's allowed him to commit his future to the club. But when we talked about the team as it is now, one of the things I asked him about was whether finding that consistency in a system was how the team moves forward. And this is what he said. That takes time again, because we've added more players. We've added better quality players. There's going to be more players out the team or you know in the team and players changing around. It's about finding a system and, and a solution that, that 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 obviously wins us games regularly, which is obviously the magic question because we can't be having results. Like the manager's spoken about it many times before, is is it's the results where you know we, we beat West Ham on a sat, last sat, and Saturday two 0 Can't then go the following week and lose three. It doesn't make sense. No. Really. It's just it's no. that it's that mental it's that mental mental capacity that I think uh, as players we have to have to say listen even if the game goes bad it's like we have to have that as players and go you know, it's re- regardless of what the manager says at the end of the day you have to as players on the pitch decide what you're going to do at certain moments of time and go you know enough's enough or you know change that things that you have to be thinking you have to do and that's what you as players have to do you know it's that sort of consistency and maturity I think as a group that, that, that needs to be better but it will get there because, as I said, we've had a decent start. It's not been a bad start. Um, if you'd asked us what points you would have liked to have been on at this moment in time, you know, at the start of the season before we kicked the ball, yes, we could have been better, but you probably would have taken it. Um, and that's being honest. So part of it is about system and personnel and using yeah. those options and getting getting the new players into the team and finding a system and, and line-up that works. But... I just think it's very interesting that he talks about players taking responsibility. And 
I think that is important and it's probably something that gets overlooked. We're very quick to sort of blame the the manager. I don't specifically mean Steve Bruce, but whenever things, you know, when when things go wrong, but it's an inconsistent team and it's got inconsistent players in and I like that thought of players on the pitch being able to make decisions and you know that that is the hallmark of a good team when things aren't going your way to have the strength to make sure it's not a disaster and th- that has been that has been lacking yeah it certainly has and i mean isaac's very open and honest about these things isn't he and he's he's um you know he's he's opened up to you quite a lot over this and and i think it's great to hear him talk about the team like that i mean when you, when you consider where where he's came from uh, and the the kind of he wasn't a signing that came with a lot of fanfare was he he was a, he was the kind no. of player who came in and people went oh right okay that's another body for the for the squad um, and he was very much cultivated under under Rafa and and now under Steve Bruce as well. He's he's pretty much a mainstay of the team, isn't he? And I think if he doesn't play, we we look like we lack a little bit of steel and a bit of bite in that midfield. And uh, there's a wonderful uh, there's a wonderful video going around of all of the sliding tackles that he's done over the last <laughs> over the last eighteen months. And you just you watch it and you feel yourself going. It's I, mean, been, I love having yeah. a player like that in the team. Yeah, I mean, it's you know, it was quite strange not to see him come back into the team on Sunday, actually, and long mm. stuff to go in there. So we'll see what happens in the future. But no, he's become a he's become a properly integral part of the team. I love his attitude. I love his uh, backstory. And really, yeah, we told we told we went back to the beginning really, and went back to that sending off against away to Cardiff. God, in, yeah. 2018 and talked again about the turmoil that he was going through at the time is his missus was pregnant she had an illness whose name I can't remember but it was the same one that Kate Middleton had which is sort of huge sickness whilst pregnant basically couldn't keep anything down was having to go to hospital to be put on drip so that was happening every day leading up to the pregnancy his daughter was then born prematurely and he was. He didn't tell anybody at the club. He didn't tell Rafa. He didn't tell any of his teammates. He was trying to sort of deal with it all on his own. He was travelling to and from London, sort of almost every day after the birth. And of course, as he said, I was rubbish. I was, you know, he was rubbish when he played, and he had all this stuff going on in his head. He fell out of the team, um, and then was trying to get away that summer. That didn't happen. He had a move to Brighton, all sorted out. Anyway, then Cardiff comes along. He's back in the team. Uh, he comes on to the bench. He's he's sent off, and it's just absolute despair. Now he talked. He talked about, you know, him. He talked about self destruct. You know, self destruct and devastation and all that. But he was determined to to kind of knuckle down and to show people that okay, he felt he needed to leave, but he wasn't going to allow that to. Uh, affect the way he played and he was brilliant he came back into the team he was brilliant I loved his attitude and then yeah yeah, here we are all this time later well it's actually not that not that not that long really Um, he talked very openly about Rafa going and how he felt like everything was being ripped apart and you know could he stay but got through last season and then is committed to a six-year contract and one of the things I asked him wasn't about his personal situation in particular but I said it's astonishing isn't it that you've come through all this and yet here you are you're at home yeah it is and I I do feel that obviously you're going to get people that don't like you it doesn't matter what you do you know at the end of the day um it's irrelevant people some people are going to like how you play some people are going to hate how you play you know some people don't rate me or might not rate me some people don't rate me that's going to be the same in 
you know, any team with any player, there's always going to be people that don't like you, people that do like you. But I feel like if you can, you know, if you show people that, you know, that you're reliable and that you care, I feel like I'm a people's player. You know, at the end of the day, I, I feel like I can play, you know, like a fan. And I think that that's important at the end of the day is that obviously some games are not going to be great. Some games are going to be decent. Sometimes we're going to have a world again, but I feel like people know that no matter what the game and no matter what, you know, what happens during the game, I feel like I'm a people's player and the people can, you know, people can relate to me as a player and go, do you know what? If I was a player and, you know, I had the opportunity to be in where he is, I'd be running like him or I'd be, you know, chasing back like him or working as hard as him. And I thought that's just something that, that stuck with me, especially playing for this club is that, in the day, people will forgive you if you miss a pass or you make a mistake or you score an own goal or whatever it is, you miss an open goal, whatever it is. But I feel like they won't forgive you if you don't put the work in and you don't work hard and you don't show something, you know, show a bit of heart. I, I feel like they they won't forgive you. And that's something that I can't, whenever I play, I can't just not care or or, or, or not not play for, for the people. I think that's, that's important. I'm a people player. Not in terms of you know, not listening to instructions and not doing anything, but I feel like just in my aura as a player, I feel like I'm more a people player oh, I love that, yeah. than, you know, a player player. Please forgive my uh, over-enthusiasm there towards, <laughs> towards the end, but I do, I do, I love that. And I think that's why, I think that's why people do relate to him and have related to his story because we know, you know, he's never wanted to leave the club. He's tried to leave the yeah. club but he never wanted to leave the club. And even when he was going through all this stuff, when he came back into the team, he played with such honesty and determination. And yes. yeah, he's not a people's player in the same sense that Alisson Maxima is a people's player. He's not mm. the kind of person to get you off your seat. But that honesty that he shows on the pitch and that reliability and just those you know those simple things that you should take for granted. I think, I think also you forget you know, that we're all human beings and that we can all have stuff going through in our heads and, you know, and, but he managed to sort of, he managed to compartmentalise that and play the way he did. And yeah, here's to Isaac Hayden, the people's player. I love that. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Chris, what's your thoughts on Isaac Hayden and how he's how he's performed so far this season and where he's come from? Well, I, I think he's probably up there al- alongside Wilson and Sam Maximan as one of the first players you, you would want in the team if, if he's fully fit. I think he is so important, particularly given when we talk about balance. I mean, Bruce has talked about balance recently. Obviously, Benitez used to talk about it regularly and, and, and the search for balance. He he provides some sort of, of balance in there. The fact that he, he is so disciplined, he will he will sit back and, and, and make those important tackles, but also he does have the ability to, to press and, and lead the press and push forward. And, and he, a lot of the stuff he does is isn't, isn't particularly pretty and I actually think he is a better footballer than maybe uh, his, was, his yeah. role in the team permits but because yeah. he's so because he's he's humble enough to accept that this is this is the way I'm going to get in the team this is what the team need me to do he performs it so well now yeah I, I remember I stood and chatted to him at Craven Cottage at the end of the 2018-19 season and, and at that stage it was categorical that he was leaving it wasn't 
and that and again as Joe said, it wasn't because and he kept on saying to him, I, I don't want to leave but but I have to leave and at that stage he convinced himself that's what was interesting if you read George's pieces where Hayden basically says I almost convinced myself that that was the only way out and once I'd said it I couldn't backtrack from that position and then mm. here we because, are 18 because, months later because I didn't want to sound like a bit of a knob he said it was kind of quite funny but um <laughs> yeah yeah but, but but as you say I mean he, he I interviewed him at that March for the times and it just put all poured out of him it all poured out of him and at that point he did think he was still going to have to go but and and you're right chris sometimes again you have to take a step back from your own situation and think and he asked that question i loved it when he said this you ask yourself the question what is it that i'm giving up here and he would have been giving up you know three years or whatever it was of of, of getting the team back into the premier league and then stabilizing and so on and so forth. And obviously Benitez leaving and Perez leaving and Rondon leaving were big moments for him. And he says that he was he was kind of, you know, he described that as a kick in the teeth. And then the club valued him at, uh, he said, kind of Champions League prices. So it was difficult for him to leave. But he, you know, he questioned, he, he said, you know, if you look at Brighton and Newcastle, if you take a step back and look at them, there's no... There was no. There should be no conversation, and that's not having a go at Brighton because he, you know he talked about them beating Newcastle and the really good football they showed. But in terms of the size and the potential and the stature, he can feel that. You know, he can feel that, and he wanted to see signs of progress. Did they come last season? Well, you can argue. You can argue that both, both, both ways. But he thought that the signings they made this summer. Um, you know, were a sign that that things can kind of get better. I mean, he said very, he said very strongly that what happened during lockdown, getting to forty points, everything, everybody switched off because there's a, there's a mentality at the club that surviving relegation is is enough, and that mentality has to change. He's he's such a good talker. He's such a yeah. good talker. And one one of the things. And one of the things that Chris mentioned there about the about him being a better footballer than people absolutely given, yeah. given credit for, I did actually ask him about England, and you know I'd have thought that he should be in that he should be in that conversation the way that he's been mm. played. But his honesty, the honesty he shows, is is not just about the club; it's very very much about him. And I was quite surprised by what he said. If you're playing in that position at England, you know. I think the manager needs to see that, you know, you're getting, you know, 60, 70 passes a game or, you know, you're getting, you know, those sorts of numbers in passes. And I feel like at Newcastle, because of the style of play that we yeah. had, not just with now with Steve, no, no, no. but especially with Rafa, we weren't a possession-based team. We were yeah. very much a sit-off, defend, counter-attack team. And in that, as a mid-centre midfielder, you can't, it's difficult to show it, to sit there and go, I'm going to have 60 passes a game because... That's just not, That's not how we play. Yeah, yeah. Especially before when we played five, especially when we played with five four one. You know, my job was to break the play up and then counter attack quickly with the players that were you know, bursting forward. We had, you know, Perez, Rondon. You know, the four, wing backs. Obviously, we had Richie and we had yeah. Yedin at the time bombing forward. My job wasn't to be making six. You know, keeping the ball intricately sixty passes. That's not the reason why you play five at the back. You play five at the back with the wing backs to get high. And to get crosses into the box and yeah. to you know get players in the forward areas of the ball, so it's that transition of building from from that transition for a couple of years of not being possession based to then being possession based. That's the difference. Yeah, so that's why I feel like that part of my game isn't that isn't that England standard because 
you're not, you're not, not being a chance played. to do it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. We've not had that. You know, we've not had that. That you know, we haven't been sitting there going right. We're going to play out from the back every single time, like you know Arsenal do, for example. You know, the Arsenal midfielders might get eighty passes, hundred passes again because they're getting the ball on the edge of their box yeah. and passing it, and then getting it again, passing it. They're passing it to their heart's content. So yeah. you're going to get passes. Whereas with you know, we play a different style of football. Yeah. So I feel like that's where the translation's lost is is that we don't as a you know as a team translate to what yeah no the I get manager that. at England yeah want. I get so that. I thought that's that, you know if we changed and suddenly you know we're making 60 70 passes a game creating a few chances plus still doing what my defense duties are I feel like I will get an England team but I feel like it's the fact of that you know at the moment my game's not quite there in that realm and that's where my neck uh, to be able to get yeah. in the England team my game has to have that yeah so I feel like it's a bit of bit of both where I'm not quite there there yet in terms of that level of that side of my game and also I don't think we, our style of play is that yet I think picking up on, on one of the points Chris made before about about the the kind of job that he has to do I think what what Isaac is what I can't even say his name. What Isaac Hayden suffers from um, is is the fact that he's doing an unfashionable job in an unfashionable position at an unfashionable club, um, <laughs> and that's kind of the triumvirate of nonsense, isn't it? He's not going to get anywhere with that. So I see this on Twitter all the time. I watch social media and I watch um, Twitter for fan reactions and how how fans talk to each other about certain players and stuff like this. Now, like you said before, Chris, an Allenson Maximum gets players off their seat and he does. Um, you know, he does things that I call gifable. So they are little things that you could put in a gif and drop into a tweet and they look amazing. And it takes away from the overall performance. Whereas Isaac Hayden does entirely ungifable things, but without them, the team wouldn't function. Um, and I just think I, I think he suffers from that. I think he suffers from doing a job that's boring, that that fans and in this day and age, with the kind of YouTube um, you know, FIFA mentality that a lot of people have. Um, he's not doing step overs. He's not banging them in from thirty-five yards. He's not playing sixty-yard passes. It kind of gets forgotten. That kind of job is is ultimately not something that people have at the front of their mind when they think about football in the Premier League. But that's what he does. And without it, we're not as good a team. I don't think. Can I can I just pick up on the unfashionable team point? Uh, and before before I get into this, I just want to make it clear that. Uh, just, just to register, just basically register interest. I, I have no interest in international football, and I don't watch England, and so anything I'm about to say can be prefaced with that. But uh, when, <laughs> when, Ca- when Callum Wilson signed for Newcastle, he, he, he cited the fact that he wanted to get back into international football. So at the time, I didn't actually use that many stats in the piece, but I looked at this because I was curious. So, can you? The, the last Newcastle United player to be capped by England was Andros Townsend in the summer of 2016. There have only been three more in the entire Mike Ashley era. Three other players have been capped. Can you name any of them? Oh, oh, God! Yeah, that's a good question. I wish I'd been listening. Well, to, I wish I'd been listening. Obviously. <laughs> well, I think I think he just gets like an honorary cap. Yeah, there were two it. other players called up, but they didn't actually play in Colback and Taylor. So they were called up, but didn't actually play. So players but who there were have capped. been. Three only three other players capped. Has John Joe Shelby got a cap at Newcastle? I don't think he not has, at Newcastle. He? No, no. There is there is one of the players in the Newcastle squad at the minute who was capped, but that was during his first spell at the club. Andy Carroll. Well, no, yes, of course, of yeah. course. Michael Owen. Oh, right God, and oh, Alan God, that was Smith. Actually, bro, wasn't it? Alan Smith was still playing games for England while he was at Newcastle. That blows my mind. My mind is officially blown. 
Yeah, I mean, he barely played games for Newcastle, you could argue. So it was, uh, yes. yeah, he, he was he was still, I think it was toward, <laughs> I think it was the very start of when he first came, he played one or two matches because obviously he was one of the first signings, I think, of the Mike Ashley era. So That's right. But, yeah, but you're making, there's actually an sort of interesting point there when you talk about all that kind of stuff because you look at the spine of the team right now, and this has only just occurred to me, but you've got Darlow in goal playing very well. You've got Lascelles in the centre half. You've got... Isaac Hayden centre mid, and then you've got Callum Wilson up front, and all of those players are relatively young, and you would think have the best years of their career ahead of them. And it's not something that I haven't kind of really read about or seen. I don't know. Maybe others have talked about it, but um, that you would actually think that you know that must be quite unusual in Premier League teams at the minute and perhaps perhaps Gareth Southgate will take a look I mean I you know I think what Hayden says is right the style of play that Newcastle uh, are sort of doing at the moment isn't necessarily the style of play that England that England play but to have so many young-ish players uh, English right through the spine of the team must Absolutely. be must be unusual yeah. to, I mean to quote Fergal Sharkey a good English spine these days is hard to find isn't it <laughs> it's, uh, you just don't, you just don't see them, do you? I mean, I don't think no, that's the exact lyrics of the song, but I'm paraphrasing slightly. But I think, I think there is a wider point, and, and part of it comes down to the style that 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 Isaac Hayden talked about. I mean, you can look at Jamal Lascelles as someone who some Newcastle fans feel should have been in the squad, and I don't think he plays the way that New, that England centre backs do. Again, I'm prefacing this: I don't watch England, but apparently they like to play with the ball. Uh, and Jamal Lascelles <laughs> isn't isn't that sort of player, but then John helps, Joe Shelby. It? Well, it does. <laughs> John Joe Shelby is more of. I think that's more of an almost a personality clash. Is mm. part of the reason why he just gets overlooked by Gareth Southgate. But then you look at that. You've got the likes of Isaac Hayden. Carl Dolo probably hasn't played enough regularly in recent years. But this season, if you go on just on the inform English goalkeeper, he'd have to be in the. I'd say, I mean, he's ahead of Pickford. I would have said who got dropped last weekend. So yeah, Nick Nick Pope's having a bad time at the minute as well. And uh, he's, he's getting more. Henderson's he's getting more practice. He's getting more practice than anybody else, isn't he? He's <laughs> certainly facing more shots. That's for sure. Well, the other thing, I mean, we're talking about we're talking about Callum Wilson there, and and, and England, and we'll see we'll see whether that happens. But one of the features, obviously, this season has been uh, having a proper centre forward playing up front, giving the team giving the team that focal point, getting on the end of things, and he did it again twice at the weekend, and. Chris, this is something that you've written about. You're looking at his impact and the impact he's made. And in fact, you've spoken to someone who had a similar impact during his time at Newcastle from a previous generation, haven't you? Yes, well, the only person who has scored six Premier League goals in fewer games after signing for Newcastle United in Les Ferdinand. So Ferdinand scored six and six. So Les, yes. Uh, Wilson has got... Uh, six in seven, which equals Papi Cisse's record, I believe, but it's ahead of Michael Owen, took eight games, Shearer nine, Cole nine, Barr nine, Andy Carroll took 24, and Joe wow. Litton still isn't. Gail took 35, and then Joe Litton's on 55 appearances and counting or something like that, 50, 40 odd or something, but he's on two. But yeah, so I spoke to, spoke to Les Ferdinand about this, about a very different era. He played for the entertainers in a side that created a heck of a lot of chances, and he, he basically said, yeah, I knew that they were going to kill balls in left, right and centre and I was going to get goals and, and he said about the difference that Wilson faces and why he's been so impressed with them so far. We were free-flowing, 
free scoring and our, our, our motto was if you score two we'll score three or four and, and you know as a, as a centre forward back then you know the chances were raining in right left and centre right Keith Gillespie down one side uh, David Ginola down the other Rob Lee and, uh, and Peter Beardsley coming through the middle so I was always getting opportunities and all that you know opportunities were always going to be made for me whereas Callum was probably thriving on a little bit less service um, and so he knows any opportunity he gets he needs to take because he's not going to get a lot of them in the game and that's no disrespect to the, the players he's playing with now with all due respect to, to Joe Linton he you know, he came in last year. I always, I always think the you know centre forward position for any player coming into the Premier League is probably the hardest one to adapt to. And Callum Wilson's got that experience. He knows where to go, where to where to move. Um, and he's he's shown it year in year out. And um, you know, fortunate for for the Geordies now, he's doing it for them. And and that sort of goal scoring instinct which you had and which Callum was now is that something which is that natural or is that something that you work on? Is that something that that, that you have to adapt to? I think for a goal scorer, the one thing I've, I've always said is that you, you, you want to score goals. So a goal scorer will always take himself into positions where he's going to go, when he, where he feels he's going to score goals. When you see a centre forward or so-called centre forward outside of the box, that tells me he's not he's not an out-and-out centre forward. Because I always, I always think if you're a centre forward and you enjoy scoring goals, you love scoring goals, you're going to take yourself into positions where you're going to get an opportunity to score goals. And that's not nine times out of ten in, in, in inside the 18-yard box. And that's where Callum Wilson finds himself. That's where most people who score goals find themselves. Well, I woke up this morning Bacon in my bread I woke up this morning No thoughts in my head <coughs> Hello Oh, he spoiled it Sorry, everyone. So, do we say bloody love Les Ferdinand? (laughs) Bloody love him. I mean, it's 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 a kind of beautiful. It's a beautiful parallel. I mean, I wish the rest of the team. I wish the rest of the team was uh, played in the in a similar way. Do we do we say that in some ways Wilson's achievement is better? simply because he's not playing in an attacking team and he's playing mm. in a defensive team? Or do we say, because Ferdinand didn't take penalties anyway, at any point yeah. during his career, that, that his achievement was... But how do we, how do we mark think, it? I think you can caveat that as well by saying penalties seem to be more readily available these days as well with the yeah. you know the invention of VAR and, and, and what that's bringing. It seems to be there's penalties in, in nearly every game at the moment and, and obviously Callum Wilson's going to... Uh, Going to benefit from that as being the as being the main penalty taker, but isn't he cool when he steps up and puts them away? When he gives that little wink to the camera, oh god, he is. But I also think that, I mean, he won the penalty on Sunday as well. I I, I still I still find it a little bit baffling, and maybe this is just me, but a lot of people arguing they didn't think it really was a penalty. It was a he stupid. Kicked up the it's, arse. It's, a, it's absolutely stupid. He kicked him up the arse. In the air from Andre Gomez, <laughs> and and yeah, there is a bit of gamesmanship in terms of getting in front of the plate, but but. He, he's just seen. Oh, he's going to stick a straight boot out here. I'll make sure yeah. he boots me. And the, but the way he did that the weekend before, it almost got overlooked. He won the free kick that allowed Jacob Murphy to get that equaliser against Wolves. Yes. You, you go back to 
also the Burnley game and the way that he set up Sam Maxman. I know Sam Maxman had to do so much after it, but just that cuteness, that cleverness that you got in a centre forward. That there is a parallel there between the sort of thing that Les Ferdinand would have done or that Alan Shearer would have yeah. done in terms of that that know how, that knowledge. Yeah. She- Shearer was absolutely the best, the best at that. There was nobody better at winning at free kick, yeah. at winning a free kick, and it could be on the halfway line to get his team out of trouble. It could be in dangerous positions where he would then take the free kick and chances are he might score. But there was no one better than that. As Chris used the phrase know-how, it's that streetwise thing. It's that thing yes, that Gillington does not have. He does not have that instinct. And again, I'm not picking on I'm not picking on him as an individual, but having someone in the team who can do that, who can buy the team some time, who can help the team get up the pitch, who can hold the ball and then knows where to be to get on the end of thing. I mean, that when Fraser comes on and delivers that cross, a fine, it was by the end it was a tap in. It would it you know, but to have that instinct to know where to, to know where Fraser's gonna put yeah. the ball and to get there and to be there and then to The ground he it. covered as well was was just yeah. astonishing. Because I he's he's not... a good four or five yards behind the defender and then he puts the afterburners on to get Absolutely. into the space. It's really and you, good. And I will not tire, I was, particularly after what we saw last season, I will not tire of seeing a striker play like a striker. It's, it feels like the most ridiculous thing to say in the world, but we haven't had it. And to have that now, it's just, it's it's a it's a relief. And, um, you know, you want to see, not to get all kind of misty-eyed number nine, all that kind of stuff. And he isn't the number nine, we know. But but just having a centre-forward who knows what he's doing is um, is so great, so great. His direct running for me, I think, is one of his big strong points as well. He when he gets the ball and he's if he's not anywhere near the goal, he will carry the ball forward. I know a lot of centre forwards will get the ball and give it to a wide player or to a midfielder and then try and get themselves into the box into a position to score a goal. But the there was a moment in the game where he set up Alan Sir Maxman earlier on and Sir Maxman should score. Uh, but he picked the ball up and he ran at the defence with it and he went past the player and he played a lovely slide rule ball for, for Sir Maxman who, who should have done better with it. Now, Jalinton, bless him, doesn't do that. And I know we've said before, you know, we're not we're not picking on him, but it is that difference, isn't it? It's that striker's instinct, it's that it's that extra little spark that he doesn't have that when you spend the money on a player like Callum Wilson, that's what you get. And I think it's been it, it, it's been an absolute breath of fresh air having a player doing that, I, and I love him to bits. It's the anger he had when he came off as well, being taken off early because he wanted that hat trick, and he you've yes. had that each of the time this season. You had it on the opening day. He scores one against West Ham, and he comes off and says, "I should have scored three. I'm annoyed at myself. Basically, I'm frustrated. Yes. I'm glad I've scored." But he comes off against Burnley. Yeah, I should have scored a hat trick. Then he's got this one, and he comes again. He's angry because he hasn't been given that chance to score. He just he, he's just desperate to score more goals, and that is. He clearly just that's an eight within him and that's what I think is yeah. the difference. He's got a bit of a nasty streak about him as well, mine, doesn't he? <laughs> he smacked Yerry Mina in the chest with that ball when he was get when Yerry Mina was employing the uh, the South American term shithousery uh <laughs> towards Callum Wilson when he was about to take his penalty. He didn't have whack him with that ball. I was thinking, Oh god, he's gonna get himself sent off here, but he uh he, he kept his composure and he slotted the penalty away and then turned round and shushed Yerry Mina, which I thought was a lovely, a lovely touch. Well done, Callum. Absolutely. It was quite a waste as well. I mean, inside the stadium, it was yes. pretty noticeable because the the first thing, obviously, was the was the VAR check that was going on. And so I, I felt a bit uncomfortable in that weight and how it affected him. But he was so cool, so cool when he took it. 
And um, no, and you want that spikiness, don't you? That's another thing. I mean, yeah, winning Absolutely. free kicks, that's, 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 it's part of the game. And so too is attitude and that spikiness. And um, you need, you need that. You need, you need that sort of uh, capacity to stand up to pressure and to stand up to other players and, you know, to win your, to win your purse individual battles. We don't think about that so much these days, but um, it's an important, important part of it. Yes, absolutely. Well, we're coming towards the end, lads. But one more thing, I would love to talk about just very briefly before we uh, before we finish things up. Um, this is a, a bit of a weird one, but I was I was working on Sunday night uh, in a bar, and um, a, a guy came up to me and uh, he said, "Hello, uh, Taylor. You don't know me. Uh, I'm a I'm a listener of the podcast. Um, I've been listening ever since the start of it, and I absolutely love it. And I love the the crack that you and George and Chris have together. Um, and he says uh, one of the things I would love you to mention on the podcast at some point uh just to raise a bit of awareness and to get you talking about it uh is is testicular cancer now this lad went on to tell me that he had been diagnosed with testicular cancer i think he was around about the same age as me i think he was in his mid to late 30s just completely out of the blue and the only reason that he he found it was because he had gone to the loo uh, and felt something wasn't quite right um, and he said it would be great if we could have that that conversation on here and he listened to the podcast a lot during his uh treatment um, he had to have a, uh, he had one of his testicles removed completely, uh, and he was very open and honest about it. And he said, "I would love it if you and the lads could just give a little bit of time to encouraging lads to check themselves and making sure that they are, uh, are taking this seriously because it is something that can strike any any lad at any age." Um, and obviously, we have had uh, a, a former player uh, who's dealt with this as well, Jonas Gutierrez, of course, uh, had testicular cancer and was treated for it while he was at the club came back famously scored the goal against West Ham uh, and it is a it is a big thing and it's something that we should be talking about and it's something that we should be having conversations about very very humbling to hear that and obviously you know very very grateful uh, to that to that lad for for listening firstly um and uh yeah I mean um I mean, most most men I I know don't require much encouragement to put their hand down the front of their pants, and now you can do it and be doing doing a service at the same time. So, no, I mean, in all in all seriousness, it's something that we should talk about more openly. We should think about, and you know, I'm 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 not one of the good ones in the sense that when I feel like I might have something wrong with me, I clam up and I don't talk to people and yeah. I don't go to the doctor. And it's not because I think I'm too strong for it. It's because I just have that sort of, I don't know, I don't like making a fuss or drawing attention or, you know, it's embarrassment, whatever like that. But for something like this, it could kill you. So, and um, it is a very, very important cause and it's a very important campaign. So, uh, and yes, we've seen one of our own in, in Honas Gutierrez go th- go through this and thankfully come out the other side. So yeah, get your hands down the front front of your pants. This that's the pod on the time official clearance to do that. Get your hands down the front of your pants. I mean, it isn't it isn't easy, is it? Because you are you're essentially checking for a lump 
in in a in a bag of lumps, uh, which isn't which isn't easy, is it? But it's something that has to happen. It's something that we've got to do more often. And uh, it's I, I was like you say, you I, I felt humbled standing talking to this lad, you know. And and I think he felt a bit embarrassed about the situation as well because he was like, I'm really shy. I didn't want to come over, but I felt like I had to, and I wanted to say something. Um, and I was like, mate, honestly, thank you for 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 coming and talking to me. And and of course we'll speak about this, and of course we'll mention it, and of course we'll encourage lads to be to be checking themselves more because I think it's still it still comes with a little bit of embarrassment and it's a bit of a subject that, that people don't want to talk about but we have to yeah we do and I, I'd echo everything that, that you guys have said I'm really quite humbled when you messaged the other day and said that you want to talk about this because this is what happened I was I was I was taken aback but thought yeah definitely we need to talk about it. and the way that you've explained it there it, it is such an important issue and with any with anything like this um also the, the likes of prostate cancer and things like that we have to if and when we can if, if the if checkup times arrive for, for things like that we actually have to go to the doctors to get checked then then we really should because there is still i think too much of this sort of male sort of it's not macho yeah, it's to, 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 to check these things. It's almost seen as a sign of weakness, things. isn't it? Yeah, it seems a sign of weakness. Whereas actually, no, this is this, these are very important, and the earlier yeah. we can catch these things, the better. So, no, a, a, a inspirational story like that of Jonas Gutierrez, and so yeah, I'd encourage everyone to check themselves. Well, listen, lads, thank you very much for talking talking about that, and uh, and thank you again for your time uh, on the podcast. Thanks a lot to you as well, dear listener, for tuning in. Uh, we shall be back next week with more of this nonsense. Uh, it's been lovely, lovely talking to you. Take care of yourselves as we go in to this new lockdown tier four whatever it is you want to call it but please take care look after yourselves and your families and uh, we shall speak to you very soon make sure you check your balls Mm -hmm.